Um, first off, I have made, uh, you know, I'm going to make an executive decision here. Um, I think that the, 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 the fear of the Lord has gone out of style, and we're just not going to do that around here anymore. You know, the fear of the Lord's not cool anymore, so we're just throwing that out the window. We don't, we're not doing the fear of the Lord anymore. No. <laughs> but that's the way that a lot of churches are operating these days. The, the fear of the Lord has gone out of style. It's not cool anymore. It doesn't draw the crowds anymore. You know, got to pump those numbers up. Because a lot of places see their success as Christians based on how many people they have in their church. And, well, clearly that's wrong. You can see in the Word that that's wrong. But this, there's been this whole attitude shift um, recently in the church. And I say recently, I mean in the past 10 years or so. That's a pretty good span of time. Um, but this, this whole idea of, like, God doesn't care about my lifestyle. You know, people shout it from the pulpits. God accepts you who you are. You don't have to change to come to God. Now, we know, of course, there's an element of that that's true. God does accept us where we are. He does meet us where we are. Um, but the point of salvation that so many people are not getting taught that these churches are missing, and I'm not pointing out any specific churches, so get that out of your head. I just mean the body of Christ as a whole. The point that they're missing is that salvation is supposed to take us out of the old and into the new. In other words, people shout from the pulpits, God doesn't care about your lifestyle. He'll meet you where you're at keeps people in the old lifestyle. But salvation doesn't do that. It takes us out of the old, and it, it takes us out of one thing into another. In other words, we leave the old stuff behind and move on to new. So the old lifestyle, the, the old, unrighteous, unrepentant, sinful lifestyle, when we get saved... It's to take us out of those things. And many people have a hard time with that because the old lifestyle is full of, I guess a good word would be vices, you know, things that still hold on to them, habits, addictions, things like that. And it's hard to let go because their flesh gets in the way. Their flesh is still addicted to those old things and it, it kind of hurts a little to have to move into the new for the flesh. For the spirit, that's life. Amen. That is freedom. But the, the flesh gets in the way. The unre, unrenewed mind gets in the way. And this is what so many churches are missing. Uh, some people call it the seeker-friendly movement. You know, it's, it, it's this whole idea of God doesn't care about your lifestyle. Come to church anyway. Got to pump those numbers up. Got to preach what... Sounds good to the masses. Sounds good to the people who don't want to leave the old behind. Yeah. Just to keep them coming back. To pump those numbers up. 
because I guess that's how we gauge success nowadays, right? Well, the modern church structure, the modern church mindset equates coming to church, coming to a church service with holiness. I mean, there are people out in the world well, not in the world, in the, in the church, in the world, in the global body of Christ, who would say, man, such and such is such a good Christian. They come to church every week. Right. And that's their gauge of how well they're following the Lord. Well, that is simply not true. There's plenty of people who go to church every week who are not following God at all. They have fooled themselves into thinking, if I just show up, God will be happy with me. But when I walk out the door, then I get my life back. That's my time. My time is back. And they leave God inside the building, quote unquote. It's like saying, I I thought of this analogy just a few minutes ago. It's like saying, y'all... Some of y'all seen my car. It's like me saying, I, I own a Ford Fusion. And you say, really? That's cool. Can I see it? And I pull out a spark plug from my Ford Fusion. And I say, yeah, here, look. And you say, what are you talking about? Where's the car? And I'm, it's right here. What are you talking about? Yeah. I have a piece, but it's not the car. Showing up in the building is a piece. It's not the whole car. Just walking in the door means nothing. Plenty of sinners walk in the door every week in churches around the world. Some of them are born again. Some of them encounter the Lord genuinely and they genuinely get born again. Some of them could care less because they're just showing up as their ticket to heaven. They do not accept salvation. They think just walking in the door is all it takes for God to accept you. There is no fear of the Lord being taught in this ultra-modern, seeker-friendly, you know, that style of church. Because preaching the fear of the Lord scares people away. (gasps) But when you're not preaching something that is throughout Scripture, you're kind of missing it. You're missing it big time. Now, we understand that the fear of the Lord is not being scared of God. We, we know that. that is, that's elementary. That's basic. The fear of the Lord is a reverential, awe-inspired respect and honor. We, we get that. We know that. It's like we, we fear the Lord the same way we fear a bonfire. 
You're not afraid of the bonfire, but boy, you respect it. You're not going to mess with it. You're not going to play with it. Why? Because you're going to get burned. Is that the bonfire's fault? No. That's you because you were being frivolous with it. You're messing around with it. You're playing with it. And because you got too casual with it, you burned yourself. The fear of the Lord is an essential part of being a born-again believer. Now, I was thinking as I was putting this together, it's been too long since I gave y'all a massive list of scriptures. So buckle in, baby. I'm not going to read all these. You know why I'm not going to read all these? Because I have 36. And that's not even all of them. I left some out. People want to say, where do you find the fear of the Lord in the Bible? Um. So I'm going to give them all to you. I will read some of them, but strap in, here we go. And for all of those that are like me, you're welcome. These are in chronological order. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12 says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? That was Deuteronomy ten twelve. 12. Um, the next one is Deuteronomy 13, 4. Deuteronomy 13, 4. The next one is Joshua 4. 23 and 24. Y'all better write fast. Joshua chapter 4, 23 and 24. The next one is Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. Joshua 24. No, the first one was Joshua 4. This one is Joshua 24. Oh, 24. Yeah. Joshua 24, verse 14. First <laughs> Samuel 12, 14 says, If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow your, the Lord your God, it will be well. That was First Samuel 12, 14. Second Chronicles, chapter 19, verses 7 and 9. It says, Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. Uh, verse 9 says, And he charged them, Thus you shall do in the fear of the Lord, in faithfulness and with your whole heart. Job chapter 28, verse 28. Job 28, 28. Now I've got a few from Psalm. I've got several from the book of Psalms. So what I would do, I would just write Psalms and then all the references after that. Here we go. 
Psalm 19, verse 9, says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Psalm 22, 23 is the next one. Psalm 25, 12. Psalm 31:19 Psalm 33 verse 8 says let all the earth fear the lord let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him and really that's just that's what the fear of the lord is is being in awe of him uh, Psalm 34 verse 11 Psalm 89, verse 7. Now, I would put KJV next to that one because I really like that one in the King James. I'm actually going to read it later. Psalm 111, verse 10. And I've got, a, I've got the same thing for Proverbs. I've got, tw- I've got several for, for, for Proverbs. So I would just write Proverbs and then the references after that. First one is Proverbs 1, 7. Proverbs 1, 7. Proverbs 3, verse 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. Proverbs 8, verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Proverbs 19, verse 10. Uh, sorry, 9, verse 10. 19 is later. Proverbs 9, 10. Proverbs 10. Verse 27, 10, 27. Proverbs 14, 26 and 27. 14, 26 and 27. Proverbs 15, verse 16. Proverbs 15, verse 33. Proverbs 16, verse 6 says, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Proverbs 19, verse 23. Proverbs 22, verse 4. Proverbs 23, verse 17 says, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all day. Now we're moving on from Proverbs. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says, the end of, Now I, I did a whole, this is Ecclesiastes 12, 13, for those writing it down. Now I did a whole message um, a while back about the book of Ecclesiastes. And 
if you remember, for those that weren't here, the entire book of Ecclesiastes has one point. The whole book. It's like, it's like, what, nine, I think, chapters? Something like that. But the whole book of Ecclesiastes has one message. Everything in this world is useless. And here we have the one message. This is the very, the second to last verse in the entire book. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13 says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. I love that book. Um, moving on, Isaiah eight thirteen says, But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, let him be your dread. Isaiah 8.13, that was, that was Isaiah 8.13, and that actually ties in very closely to the rest of tonight. Isaiah 33, verse 6. Y'all are having so much fun, I know. Now, I really encourage you to go read all these later. Isaiah 33, verse 6. Um, Malachi 3.16 Malachi 3.16, it says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Interesting. Matthew 10.28, we're moving into the New Testament. Matthew 10, verse 28. Luke chapter 1, verse 50. The 50th verse of Luke 1. The book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 31 says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. That was Acts 9.31. Acts 10, verse 35 says, But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. 1 Peter 2.17. 1 Peter 2.17. We got one more. Revelation. Oh, if you were here a few weeks ago, you know how good Revelation is. Revelation 14, verse 7. And that's my list. That's 36 verses. Tib. Okay. If you have any questions, you can come meet me after. That's cool. So that was my list. 36 verses on the fear of the Lord. And yet, how many churches aren't preaching it? Yeah. And like I said, that's not even all of them. I, I left some of them out um, just because the, they were a part of a verse, not the, not the whole verse. So the whole verse wasn't relevant. Um, but that's a lot. 
in the Old and the New Testament. That's, that's a lot of the fear of the Lord, that reverential respect of the Lord. And, you know, I'm going to keep this real simple tonight. I'm, I'm about to get into something else that ties into this that's really going to be the meat of, of this series. But we need to get back. Where did we miss it? And I say we, I mean the global body. What happened? I mean, I, I could guess and give theories and, and theorize about what happened, um, but I'm not here to do that tonight. I'm here to tell us that we need to respect the Lord. We need to honor the Lord. If we want to see a move of God, we have to honor him when he comes. If we do not honor him when he comes, we will not see a move of God. It is as plain as that. It is very simple. We have to honor him when he comes. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Let's, let's get into some meat here. Let's dive a little deeper into this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, if you were here at the beginning of this year, I know a lot of you weren't, but we did a series called Fundies. Fundies. Man, that, that, was, a, that was a great series. But part of Fundies was talking about the Holy Spirit and just, just a lot of different things about the Holy Spirit. And we went over this verse and the next verse pretty extensively. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.19, a verse I go back to a lot. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, very short, very to the point. It says, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. It's pretty hard to make that say anything else other than do not quench the Spirit. Turn back a few pages to Ephesians. Chapter 4. This should be pretty familiar to us since we just got out of an awesome series about Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says, And do not, again, another do not, grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not grieve the Spirit. I'd say these are some of the most broken commands in the Bible. Maybe not the most broken command. I think it'd be pretty hard to top 
love one another. But still, among the most broken commands in the Bible, do not quench the spirit, do not grieve the spirit. An example would be this past Sunday, a a positive example. This past Sunday, I woke up in the morning with a heavy burden on my heart that somebody here needed healing. I didn't know who it was, didn't really care, but it was heavy on my heart. I brought it up in our circle, uh, our prayer time with the volunteers, and I kind of made it a little general. I said, does anybody have any prayer requests? A few were thrown out, but they, th- this burden on my heart, it didn't lift, so I knew that wasn't it. And then the worship, the worship set started, and it got heavier and heavier and heavier, and I knew if I don't get up there right now, that anointing will leave. We need to get better at understanding the anointing. Do you know what an anointing is? I'm getting ahead of myself. All an anointing is, is a custom built, let's see, how did I put it yesterday? All an anointing is, is a custom built application of the glory. That's all an anointing is. Custom made for a specific moment for a specific time and place, for a specific purpose, for a specific person or people. That's what an anointing is. It is a custom-built application of the glory. So that happened this, this past Sunday. I was up here, and it was just heavy on my heart. I knew that there is an anointing for somebody to get healed this Sunday, right now, in this worship set. And I knew if I didn't get up there, then it would lift. If I had quenched that, nobody would have gotten healed. If I had quenched that, the anointing would have lifted, would have left. But I didn't. Yes, quench like you would a fire. Stamp it out, suppress it, ignore it. That's what quenching the spirit means. And I'll actually get it, get into that very briefly here in a sec. But, you know, praise God, I, I didn't, and I believe firmly that a whole bunch of people got healed this past Sunday. Praise the Lord. Amen. I mean, you know, glory to God. Um, but if I, and, and this is no, no glory to me, dear God, But if I had not listened to that, if I had quenched the spirit, then nobody would have gotten healed, that anointing would have lifted, we would have gone on with our day and all ate chicken fingers after church like we normally do. That's an example of not quenching the spirit, not suppressing that custom-made application of the glory. See, quenching the spirit very simply, it means not doing or engaging in something that he wants to do. That's what quenching the Spirit means. It means not doing something that he wants to do right now or or engaging in it. It means not doing that. 
That's, why, that's, that's what you get. You, you quench the spirit when you do not do something or engage in something that he wants to do right then and there. You quench him. Grieving the spirit is the opposite. Grieving the spirit is the total opposite. Grieving the spirit means that you do something or engage in something that he does not want to do. Or that he straight up doesn't like. A lot of times, you know, this was really prevalent back in the back in the charismatic renewal um, of the, you know, the, the, the 70s, 80s, 90s, of people who were being oppressed with evil spirits. They would go into these church services and cause a scene. Now, that grieves the spirit, and the whole service would be disrupted. Things like that grieve the spirit. Let's take this past Sunday in, as an example. Let me, let me kind of make up a scenario. Let's say I woke up that morning, and there was no burden on my heart to lay hands on the sick that day. There, there was nothing. The Spirit was not leading me in that direction at all. If I had jumped up here, grabbed the mic, taken over the worship set, and said the exact same thing that I said, if you need healing in your body, get up here right now, but the Spirit didn't want it, there was no anointing there, it would grieve him. That's what grieving the Spirit means. You do something or you engage in something that he's not in. But it's good. Laying hands on the sick is good. There was no anointing there. This is dangerous line of thinking thinking that we can just do whatever we want, when we want it, even in church, even things that seem good. If there is no anointing on it, if the Holy Spirit is not leading us in that direction, it's all a presentation. It's all a show. It's all fanfare. I don't want to do anything that the Lord doesn't want to do even if it seems good in the moment. All that would have done was, would, if that had happened, all that would have done would, would bring glory to me. Wow, Austin is so sensitive. Austin is so in tune with the Spirit. That's all that would have done. No glory to God because, you know, it would have been about me. It would have been my idea me just coming up with something, me just inventing something, trying to force a moment. It's what it would have been. But that's what happens a lot of times. See, the Holy Spirit is not a commodity. The Holy Spirit's not a commodity. A microwave is a commodity. A refrigerator is a commodity. Uh, A ballpoint pen is a commodity. A commodity is just, you know, these these little things that make our lives easier or more convenient, you know. And that's the way that many people treat the presence of the Lord. They treat him like a commodity. They treat him like a quick fix. 
And they treat the Holy Spirit like they can use him how they want, like he's a tool. He's not. He is a person. The Holy Spirit is not a commodity. The glory of God is very... Hmm. How do I say that? How do I say this, Lord? The glory of God is very precious. It's very precious. And we want to take care of it when the glory falls. And when you treat the presence of the Lord like your quick fix, like you can make him do what you want him to do, when you treat the Holy Spirit like a ballpoint pen, he is grieved. And that glory, that anointing, that was for that moment, for you, for everyone in the room, it will leave. And that is what is happening so, in so many places around the world is people are not honoring the presence of the Lord when he comes. When the glory falls, they don't honor it. And I'm getting ahead of myself again. Every time that the glory shows up, it is a big deal. There's an old saying, we've said it before, um, familiarity breeds contempt. When you get used to something, it makes it easy to dishonor it because you're used to it. But we have to get into this mindset that even if the, just the glory falls on us like a heavy sheet every single Sunday, every time, it is still the same big deal. Amen. Yeah. There, is no, there is no, oh, we're used to it now. That's just what happens. No, it is a big deal every time he shows up. Even if it's every single Sunday morning, every single Wednesday, we still have to treat it like the big deal that it is. Amen. That's what honor is. Giving honor where honor is due. He is due honor. Honor is due to the Lord. Let me give you another example. Some of you know that, hmm, has it been a year? It has. Last year, um, I bought this really nice laptop. It's a gaming laptop, very expensive. Saved up a lot of money for it. It's actually um, one, of the, one of the biggest single purchases I've ever made. Super nice. I mean, this thing is pristine. It is a machine. It is awesome. Really nice laptop. But I paid a lot of money for this laptop. Worked hard for it, saved up for it. And when I first got it, I was really careful with it. When I moved it around, when I touched it, you know, and even to this day, no liquids or crumbs above it or near it. 
When I, if I'm eating like soup or something at my desk, I've got it over here. So when I eat, it doesn't splash all over the keyboard. Why? Because it's valuable. It is valuable. Paid a lot of money for that thing. I don't want it ruined. It was bought with a price. I don't want to dishonor it. And over time, even now, as time passes and I get used to it, I become familiar with it, I have to remind myself of the value of what I have. Because if I get too used to it, you know, all of a sudden I'm, I'm spilling crumbs all over it and I'm getting fingerprints all over the screen. I might spill a little, you know, sweet tea on the keyboard. And if that goes on, eventually you get into this mindset of like, ah, well, it's already dirty. A few more crumbs won't hurt, I guess. Yeah. And you've completely lost sight of the value of what you have. And it's the exact same thing with the glory of God. When the glory shows up, when an anointing, when you sense an anointing in any given moment, you have to take care of it. You have to take care of it. Because if you treat it in a dishonorable way, it'll just leave. God doesn't go where he's not honored. He doesn't place his anointing where he is not honored, where people don't take care of him, where people don't treat his presence with respect, where people, you know, do all these, do all these things that grieve him, do all these things that he doesn't want, that he's not a part of. We have to ask ourselves how much weight do we put behind God's glory? How much do you esteem him? I mean, when the when the glory falls, when the anointing shows up, how much does that mean to you? And that Conveniently, brings us to the title of this series, The Weight of Glory. The Weight of Glory. And I get that phrase from 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison." How much weight do you put behind God's glory? You know, that's another, another way of saying honor. Well, it's, it's an aspect of honor, I should say. Weightiness. And that doesn't mean like pound for pound how heavy something is. That means how much weight do you put behind it? How much does it mean to you? How highly do you esteem it? Write this down as a header if you're taking notes. Don't mess with the glory. 
Don't mess with the glory. Josh McDowell, Josh and Sean McDowell, they are pretty well-known apologists, um, theologians, uh, very scholarly men. But they said this one time, they said, we don't get to dictate how we are to have a relationship with him. It's the other way around. He sets the terms of relationships. The question is whether we will follow it or not. There are a lot of people, you know, and we bless them, pray for them, but there are a lot of people trying to get a breakthrough on their terms. And they come to church, like a church service, with no concept of the fear of the Lord, no concept of honoring the Lord, respecting his presence, and they're seeking breakthrough. They're seeking answers to all their prayers, but it's on their terms. Because if they want it on God's terms, well, they got to change something. And that takes effort. Just showing up is not the answer. Just walking in that door is not going to fix all your problems. As nice as that would be, we have to align our hearts a little bit. We got to, we got to, you know, adjust our sights a little bit. We got to change the gauges a little bit, turn some knobs, recalibrate, so to speak. Now listen, I want to make this clear. How many were here? Hmm. Should I I say this, Lord? How do I say this, Lord? How many were here um, when I did the Jesus series, the Wednesday night Jesus series? Raise of hands. How many were here? I want to see. So, So a pretty good deal of you. I don't mean to, by the way, if you weren't here, please go back and listen to those. I think they are among the most important messages that I have preached here. Important for us, important for this church, important for the body of Christ as a whole. Go listen to those. But I don't mean to diminish anything that I taught in that series with this series. I don't mean to diminish any of that. Jesus is still our friend. He is our friend. He is a close friend, and we should treat him like a friend. He wants to be involved in our day-to-day, minute-to-minute. He wants to be involved in our casual life, our, our hobbies. He wants to be involved. He wants us to know him, and he wants to know us. I don't mean to diminish any of that, but there's the other side of that, where he is still God Almighty. He is still the Holy One. And there is a certain level of respect that must come with that. That's why I made it a point to say, you can treat Jesus like a friend, but you don't want to treat him like a, like a bro, like a buddy, buddy Jesus, my man. He's your friend, but you can't take that to a, to a frivolous level. In other words, you still have to exalt him 
as the Lord, the King, the Shepherd of Shepherds. Let me use another example. So, a lot of you were here for that series. How many of you were here that Sunday that I preached the same message while Pastor and Pastor Alan and Michelle, they were gone? Who was here that Sunday morning? So some of you, okay. When I was preparing for that, because, you know, it, it was just a condensed version for that Sunday morning, I had already preached it. Easy stuff. When I was getting, getting that ready, kind of right, restructuring some things and kind of condensing it down for a Sunday morning, you know, because it was like a five-week series um, that I had to condense down, hit the high points, you know. When I was preparing that, oh, we were going to have fun. I was going to make some quips at the start, you know, kind of lighten everybody, lighten everybody up a little. I was going to be all happy when I got up here, like, hey, how's it going Sunday morning? But when I was over there and the worship team was finishing up the final song before I would, was to come up, I, I, I was almost floored. I was almost brought to my knees. The glory fell. And I got up here, men, some of you may remember, it was heavy. The room was heavy. Not nervous, not, you know, uncomfortable, but there was a heaviness in the room. Why? Because the glory fell. I had, I had my plan of what was going to happen. You know, I was going to tell a couple jokes. I was going to be all happy and lighthearted, but the glory fell. And I, I, you saw Keith was calling me up to the pulpit. I almost couldn't come up to the pulpit because the glory of God showed up. If I had come up here and done what I had planned on doing, you know, told, told the jokes, been all lighthearted, it would have dishonored that presence. And I believe he would have left. That, that anointing, I mean. So, some of you may have been sitting out there. Right now, we're back, to, we're back to here. Some of you may have been sitting out there for the past several minutes, and I keep, I keep throwing this, this word around. You know, the glory. And as Western people usually do, we gotta, we gotta ask, what does that mean? Can you tell me what that means? We're so bad at just extrapolating and just, just understanding something. You gotta, you gotta know, what does that mean? You know, Explain that to me. Now, I don't mind doing that. That's my job. But I just think it's funny. The glory is simply the holy presence of the Lord. That's all it is. 
you know, we, we think it's so ethereal. Ooh, the glory. Mysterious, you know. But that's all it is. It's just the holy presence of the Lord. That's what the glory is. The Holy Spirit is named that for a reason. God could have chosen any name for the Holy Spirit that he, would, that he wanted. He could have called him the, the love spirit. He could have called him the graceful spirit. Both of those are essential aspects of God anyway, right? But no, he is the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me. I think in the church, the state of the church right now, you know, the global body of Christ, we have sorely missed God's holiness. And that's the reason that the fear of the Lord is just a foreign concept to some people. They don't get it. Because most of what these modern church preachers preach is God's love. You should preach God's love, but not at the expense of everything else. If you only ever preach God's love, you miss out on holiness repentance and and grace and faith and everything else but along with love holiness is one of the core aspects of god see the the new testament goes to great lengths to reveal to the church that God loves them. That's why Jesus came. He came to reveal God's love for people. We see that in the Old Testament. We see God's love for his people at work. But there aren't that many times where he straight up just says, I love you. Now, what the Old Testament goes to great lengths to do is to establish God's holiness. From the very beginning, it doesn't set out to establish God's love. It establishes his holiness. The entire Old Testament, that's that's the purpose of it. Actually, the entire purpose of the law, the, the, the Old Testament law, was to show people what it takes or what it took to measure up to his holiness. That's why the law had to be given. It had to be given to show people their sin, to show people that you, you, you don't measure up to my holiness. Even though I love you, you don't measure up. Now, we know we're under a new covenant, thank God. <laughs> I don't want to go out and have to sacrifice a bunch of bulls every day. But his holiness still sticks around. You know, it didn't go anywhere. We didn't all of a sudden change an essential aspect of, of, the, of, of God just because now we know he loved us. He loved us. He, he loved his people before. And he loved them the, 
exact same after Jesus came. There was no, he loved his people less, and then Jesus came, and now he loves his people more. He always loved us the same. But before he could establish his love, he had to establish his holiness. He had to. And when unholy things encounter absolute holiness, the absolute holiness has to leave. They're incompatible. God cannot stay where he is not honored. Because to stay where he is not honored would be a violation of that group of people's will. It is an act of your will to honor the Lord. If he were to stay where he is not welcome, it would be in violation of their will. Now, thank God we're born again. You know, thank, thank God that we're righteous and our spirits have been recreated in his image. And thank God we have the capacity for holiness. But it starts with the fear of the Lord. That's where it starts. It starts with the fear of the Lord. You cannot expect a move of God in your life. You cannot expect a breakthrough You cannot expect to see miracles if you don't first honor him. You can't expect it. You can't expect to rise to any greater level than where you're at if you don't have the fear of the Lord. That reverential respect of his presence. Deuteronomy 4.24 says, The Lord, your God, is a consuming fire. A jealous God. God is jealous of our attention. And people who are more focused on what they're going to eat after church than they are on the moment where God is trying to teach them things will not see a move of God. And in the process, they'll drive out the anointing. Why do you think it was so important in the early church that they all be of one accord? That's why. Because a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. A few scattered people in the crowd who don't really care are not honoring the Lord. They'll just drive out the anointing. God can still deal with people individually. He won't... He doesn't leave or forsake us, but the glory, that anointing, will lift if he is not honored in a particular place. Meaning this church building, the gathering of the saints. And that is why it is so important, so important, that the people be of one accord. When we gather here, It's not just simply a social gathering. It's not a a private club or anything like that. We are meeting God here together, corporately. 
We are encountering the Lord. And those people who really could care less about that, I'm sorry to say, you know, I, I don't mean to be mean when I say this, but they're the ones holding the move of God back in a church. They're the ones holding the move of God back. Well, praise the Lord, we don't want to be those people. You know, our dive people, we're, we're not like that, right? We will be a church that honors God when he shows up. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord.